Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now with a revival message, Mr. John Moore. The latter part of the 20th century was marked by the spread of the philosophy of humanism here in the secular society of the United States. And with the dawn of the 21st century, and by the way, if you're not completely familiar with what the teaching of a humanistic philosophy is, basically it minimizes God, it deifies man, and it trivializes sin. And unfortunately, in our 21st century, we've seen that slip over into religious society as well, in spite of the fact that it's a direct denial of Scripture. It's totally inconsistent with the history of mankind. And it's certainly contrary to the personal experience of many For example, the man we know in the Bible as Isaiah, or as our British friends prefer to call him, Isaiah. So if you have your Bible or you have a Bible app with your iPhone, open it please to the book of Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, we'll read a passage of scripture beginning with verse one. And before I read that, Let's all stand as we honor the reading of God's precious word. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. You follow along silently while I read aloud. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Let's pray together. Father, as we come tonight in Jesus' name, to bow our hearts in worship before you. Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying to us tonight. 
and not only ears to hear it, but a heart to receive it and a quickened will to obey it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Title of tonight's message is The Revelation That Brings Transformation. And notice with beginning with verse one, there's a revelation of the master. Listen to the testimony of Isaiah. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Now, uh, there is some controversy about exactly what that means. The, uh, the uh, know-it-alls uh, feel a need to argue about that. But in, in essence, what it means is this. God opened the eyes of understanding of the prophet. And he saw the Lord. And beginning with verse 1 and going through verse 4, we're told about seven different aspects of God's character and being. Those of you who are familiar with Hebrew numerology know that the number seven, some people think it stands for perfect. Actually, it stands for complete. This is the only place that I've found in the Word of God where we have in the space of four verses a description of the being and the character of Almighty God. Isaiah got it. Isaiah saw it. He had the eyes of his understanding open to see it. So let's review what it was that he saw when he saw the Lord. First of all, and it's important what's first, anytime in a list in the Bible, whatever is listed first is listed first for a reason. First of all, it's first in order of importance. And he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He saw the Lord's authority. And every other aspect of the being of God flows from that one thing, that he is in control. He is Lord. But not only did he see his authority, but verse 1 goes on to see that he saw the Lord's majesty. He was high and lifted up, lofty and exalted, a sense of reverence coming into the presence of God. And not only did he see his authority and his majesty, but he saw his unity. For verse 1 concludes by saying that the train of his robe filled the temple in heaven. Some of you, uh, and by the way, I just noticed this this morning and didn't mention it, but some of you are so old. <laughs> you're as old as I am. And if you're as old as I am, you may remember the wedding of a young woman in England by the name of Diana to a prince by the name of Charles. And if you watched that on television as I did, and it was, was just overcome by the beauty of it all, you saw her brought to the church in a horse-drawn carriage. And you also probably noticed that when she got out of that carriage, not only did she have a robe, but there was yards and yards and yards of lace, a train attached to her robe. And if you were noticing, which I did, never once 
did Diana go one way and the train of her robe go another way? The train was attached to the robe and the robe was worn by royalty. And in heaven, all those who know God, all those who have followed him are there with him. So Isaiah saw his unity. And then in verses two and three, he saw his sanctity. The Bible says in verse two that seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now what is not readily manifest there, what is not readily obvious there is the limitation of the Hebrew language. And many of you I know know the fact that the the New Testament was originally written in the language of Greek. The Old Testament was written originally in the language of Hebrew. So in any case, the Hebrew language was never fully developed. It had limitations. For example, it had no uh, way to explain a comparison between the two. No comparatives or no superlatives. That's the word I was searching for. In other words, uh, if they were forming a basketball team, they would put everybody six foot tall and taller in one group, and they would classify them as tall. And then that they would separate out those who were six foot six and taller, they'd put them in a second group. And what we would say is that that second group is taller than the first group, but the Hebrew language was limited. It couldn't do that, so the way they explained it was the second, first group is tall. The second group is tall, tall. And then they'll take that one guy, that string bean, seven foot plus tall. And they'd separate him out by himself. Said, that dude is tall, tall, tall. He's the tallest. Now do you understand what the seraphim was crying in heaven that day? Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. There's nothing to be compared to the Holy One of heaven. He is holiest of all. He, the Creator, is holier than all of His created beings. Then not only did He see His sanctity, but in the end of verse 3, He saw His glory. He said, the whole earth is full of His glory. You remember the story of Moses, how he expressed the desire to be able to see the glory of God. Now, I'm going to quote a verse here, and it's going to be the free John Moore translation. <laughs> Basically, when Moses made that request, the Lord responded by saying, Son, you couldn't handle it. But he said, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll set you in the cleft of the rock. And I'll cover your eyes. And I'll pass by you. You couldn't handle looking at my glory full on. But after I pass by, I'll uncover your eyes. And just let you see where I've been. 
I'll let you see my back parts. The Bible tells us that when Moses saw that much, just that much of the glory of God, literally his face was transfigured. And when he came down from the mountain, even his own brother, blood brother and sister fled from his presence in fear when they saw the glow of the glory of God on Moses' face. And Isaiah said, those seraphim in heaven, on either side of the throne of heaven, one cried out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Not only did was he given the privilege to see the Lord's authority, his majesty, his unity, his sanctity, his glory, but he saw his supremacy. Look at verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. You likely at first glance will not get the benefit, the power of that. Do you understand where we are in this passage of Scripture? We're not just any place. We're in heaven. And there in heaven, the very thresholds... Now, now, now just stop and try to imagine what kind of power it would take to, to tremble, to cause the thresholds of heaven to tremble. And when that seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, when he began to praise the Lord, the very thresholds of heaven trembled. Friend, if you ever see that, if you ever get it, you'll never have to wonder if God is able, if God can deliver your son, your grandson, your granddaughter that's hooked on drugs. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what Jesus said. All things are possible with God. His supremacy. And then finally, Isaiah was given the privilege to see his reality. For the Bible in verse 4 concludes by saying, While the temple was filling with smoke. Whenever smoke is mentioned in the Bible, smoke or clouds, it speaks of the presence of God. Because God is not visible to the human eye. No one can look upon God and survive the experience. He's surrounded by clouds. He's surrounded by smoke. I shared with you this morning that in 1992, Phyllis and I moved to Oklahoma City. We lived there for four years. While we were there, I don't remember which particular year it was, there was a conference in Tulsa that I wanted to attend. And the reason I wanted to attend, there was going to be a woman there who was going to give her salvation testimony. She was converted in one of the greatest movements of God this world has ever seen in the Hebrides Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland. Mary Peckham was her name. And she and her husband Colin were there to both uh, speak at that conference. And I specifically wanted to go to hear her testimony. I'd already heard it on uh, tape. A friend of mine who was a pastor had her in his church and I had heard it, but I wanted to meet her personally if possible. And uh, things broke to our favor because she uh, spoke right before lunch. 
And as soon as she finished her testimony, they broke for lunch. It's amazing how fast Baptists can disappear. <laughs> and there we were, there she stood by herself. She was waiting for her husband and he hadn't come in yet. She was there alone. Phyllis and I got to go down and meet her and visit with her and basically interview her. We talked about that great moving of God. By the way, I am not an expert on revival. Please understand that. You know what an expert is. An X is a number that stands for the unknown. And a spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> I'm not an expert on revival, but I am a student of revival. And I've studied all of the great revivals of history. And I have, it was a great privilege to meet Mary and to listen to her. And for some half an hour, she told us about the great moving of God there on the Isle of Lewis, in the village of Barvis, where a preacher by the name of Duncan Campbell ministered there for several months. And God moved in a miraculous and a marvelous way. And I still remember to this day the look on her face, the glow on her face, the glint in her eye when she looked at me and said, Brother John, the presence of God was all over that island. In the church, in the homes, on the roads that led from village to village, it was not unusual to be walking down a road and someone be in the bar ditch, the side of the road, crying out to God in heaven. Some singing. But she, said, she just said that the thing that grabbed me is that the whole island was alive with the presence of God. When God reveals Himself to you, my dear friend, it is an undeniable, unforgettable experience. But notice not only the revelation of the Master, notice also the illumination of the minister, verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, folks, I'm going to give you a unique opportunity tonight, one that you've wanted to have for many, many years. I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight. Here it is. How many of you have always suspected that preachers were a little weird? <laughs> now, this is your chance. Uplifted hand right here. Always just sort of suspicion that and, and hey, I admit it. I, I admit I'm weird. Let me, let me confess one of my weirdnesses. One of my weirdnesses is right here in verse 5. Every time I see that word, then, I don't have to remind myself, I don't have to think about it, just spontaneously, a question pops in my mind. When? 
then points to a specific point of time. When? He said, then I said, woe is me. When did he say, woe is me? Listen to me. This is not just frivolous. This is not without point. It was only after he saw the Lord. When he saw the Lord in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his purity, he looked back at himself and he said this about himself. Woe is me. Woe is me. He saw himself in a completely different light after he saw the Lord. He saw himself, and look at what he saw. He saw, first of all, that he was undone. He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. The Hebrew word translated there, ruined, literally means to be cut off, to set adrift, to just be constantly exposed to the to the winds of the, and to be flown from one place to another without real direction in your life. Ever feel like that? Don't be self-righteous with me. <laughs> Ever feel like that? No direction, no leading, no strength, just one way, one day, another day, the next day. After he saw the Lord, he looked at himself and he said, I'm undone. Secondly, he said about himself, I'm unclean. And specifically, he pointed out his uncleanness. He says, uh, because I'm a man of unclean lips. We could camp here for a while. I said we could camp here for a while. A good percentage of the time, most of the time when we get into trouble is when we talk too much. I said most of the time we get in trouble <laughs> it's because we talk too much. I am a man of unclean lips. Not only did he see himself as undone and unclean, but he saw himself as unwise because I live amongst a people of unclean lips. You see, Jesus started the thing. And Paul took it up. He said in Paul's letter to the Roman church in 15th chapter of Romans, he said, you see a contentious person, mark them and avoid them, lest you take up their evil ways. And there was a big reason why he was a man of unclean lips. It was because he lived among people of unclean lips and he took up their practices. Now this is in direct contrast to the previous chapter. Turn, your, uh, turn the, uh, I started to say turn in your Bibles, but that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Why don't you just turn the page back one page. Back to Isaiah chapter 5. And listen now to what the man, how the man used to act, how he used to talk. Notice in verse 8, he, he pronounced a woe against materialism. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. 
Then in verse 11, he pronounced a woe against alcoholism. He says, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. In verse 18, he pronounces a woe against sensualism. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes. In verse 20, he pronounces a woe against liberalism. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In verse 21, he pronounces a woe against egotism. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. In verse 22, he pronounces a woe against favoritism. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the one who are in the right. Now notice in verse 5, all of his energy, all of his time, all of his words are pointing out the woes of everyone else. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Suddenly, there's a drastic change. He says, woe is me. What brought that about? Because he saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, he saw himself in a new light. One of the many things that oftentimes is lost in the interpretation of Scripture is the gravity of David's sin. We talked about it this morning. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then when she got pregnant, he uh, saw to the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And Nathan was called to confront him with his sin. But Nathan said something else. Not only did he confront him with his sin, he confronted with him with the depth, the gravity of his sin. Listen to what Nathan said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. He said, by this deed, listen to this. He's telling David, by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Suddenly, sin's, sin looks a little darker. Suddenly our trivial so-called sins appear much more serious. Because by so doing, when we openly choose to disobey God, when we openly choose to sin, we give occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme the Lord. If I could... I'd come out there and write this next statement down on the flyleaf of your Bible. I don't care how old you are or how old you ever get to be, what I'm about to tell you will walk with you all the days of your life. It would be wise of you to write it down and to keep it. When your spiritual sight is clarified, your voice will be modified. When your sight is clarified, your speech will be modified. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you speak. Finally, notice this. The direction for the messenger, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Oh, there's that word again. 
then, when? Well, notice the progression here. He didn't hear the voice of the Lord until first of all, he confessed his sin. Woe is me for I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. And notice after his confession, I left this out, but this is very important too. After the confession of the sin, there was the cleansing of the sin. Verse seven or verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then in verse eight, he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, we will never, listen to me, this is something else you can write down. As long as you are unwilling to look at what the Lord is showing you, you will never be able to hear what he's saying to you. There's a progression here, it's a biblical progression. You find it all through the scriptures. First of all, we have to see him. When we see Him, we'll see ourselves in a new light. When we see ourselves in a new light and we deal with it, when we confess it, when we say the same thing about it the Lord says about it, when we see the gravity of it, when we see that we're giving access to the enemies of God to blaspheme and we confess our sins, He cleanses us. And then and only then are we truly able to hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Some years ago, I was sharing with uh, Tyler earlier before the service tonight that I preached a revival meeting in Juneau, Alaska. And uh, while I was there, they, uh, they gave me a tour of a gold mine. At that time, the gold mine was no longer in, in use. It was no longer a practicing gold mine, but I visited with one of the older men in the church, and he remembered a time when it was active, when they were mining gold, and he said that they had a foundry there in Juneau, a gold foundry, and he told me the story about the man who went on a tour of this foundry, and uh, the, the, the group was led over there where they watched the men, and they, they saw this, this huge fire and it was heated to extreme temperatures. And this man had to stand some distance away and he had on uh, uh, asbestos clothing. And he would hold these uh, pots of uh, the rock that hold the gold and they would melt it down and, uh, and the gold would rise to the top. Uh, pardon me, the, the, the impurities would rise to the top. And then they'd take like a skimmer and they'd skim off the impurities and then they'd start all over and they'd hold the pot back over the fire. And they did this time after time after time after time. Finally, this man asked the guide, he said, when will they ever be finished? How long does this take? How many times do they have to boil this rock and, and, and filter off the impurities? And the guide answered like this, until the man can see his image in the gold. Until all the impurities are filtered off. 
we don't like the fire. I said, we don't enjoy the fire, but it's necessary. It's needful to bring the impurities to the surface so that we can deal with them. Don't confuse the trials of the Lord for what they really are. They're never meant to harm you. They're never meant to be evil for you. They're meant for your good. To bring the impurities to the surface so that we can see them and deal with them. There can be no revival blessing without revival blessedness, brokenness. You say, what do we want to see? We want to see souls saved. We want to see lost people come to Jesus. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. We need to deal with the things in our lives as the people of God so that we can be usable vessels to reach out to those that are lost and without Christ. I remember several years ago hearing a pastor speak not long before Christmas. And he, uh, he really said something very penetrating. He said, you know, we can, we can tell really what our wives think of us by the jobs they give us at Christmas. He said they had a two-story house. She and the children put the tree up, dressed the tree, did all the decorations. He, the pastor, was given one job. One string of lights, total of six lights, put in a dormer window upstairs problem with that string of lights was that they'd had it ever since they were married. It was one of those old style lights and if, if one bulb was out, none of the bulbs worked. So he said, I've dealt with this before, I've, I've got the answer. So he went down to the hardware store and he bought a whole set, you know, six brand new bulbs. Got home and he took all the old bulbs out and just threw them in the trash. Didn't even test them. Threw them in the trash. Screwed in all of those lights into the sockets. Plugged the, 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 light, the string of lights. Didn't work. And he thought and he thought, what in the world could be wrong? And they finally thought, you know what? I think I know what the problem is. So he unscrewed all the bulbs and took them back out and he got out a pen knife. Now, one word of encouragement here. <laughs> Before you start sticking that pen knife into that socket, it would be best if you unplug the string of light. But sure enough, in the very last socket, there was a, a tiny spider's web. It was a barrier between that light bulb getting connection 
and working. And after he unplugged the lights, he saw that web, he took his penknife, and he removed the barrier. And as soon as he removed the barrier, the lights came on. Folks, if we are at all serious about seeing a work of God, a work of God, revival, a spiritual awakening, the barriers are going to have to be removed. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.